Hi, I'm Seth Gumry, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. In this podcast, we introduce you to thought leaders who are shaping the lives of the next generation to discuss the challenges and innovations influencing higher education and how we can adapt to give students a strong foundation for their futures. Today, I have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Stephen Standiford, president of Bradley University. Prior to joining Bradley, he had served as Dean of Butler University's Andre B. Lacey School of Business and as the Dean of the Business School at the University of Evansville. Earlier positions include Associate Dean of Graduate and Professional Programs and Director of Undergraduate Programs, both at the University of San Diego. Dr. Standiford holds degrees from Purdue University, Northwestern University, and a PhD in Organizational Studies from the University of Oregon. His interests in teaching and research include strategic management, power and politics in organizations, internal management, conducting business in China, organizational behavior, organizational design and change, and principles of management. His experiences with business and higher education are contributing to his success as president of Bradley University. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Dr. Standiford, it's, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Great, thrilled to be here. So I just wanted to start, you have an incredible journey from being a first-generation college student to becoming a chemical engineer to being the, the new president of Bradley University. With all of your experiences and interests, what led you into higher education leadership? And can you share sort of what your varied background has, has taught you and brought with you to this role? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great place to start. Uh, I often get the question, uh, why do I do what I do, right? So that's a, not an uncommon question. And a lot of that comes from, you, you appropriately suggest, introduced that I'm a first-generation college student. And that has been a huge influence in my life. And, and part of what, what I found is because of my education, uh, because of my uh, college experiences, I've had a, a richness of life, uh, opportunities to do things, see things, experience things that no one else in my family has been able to do. And that has been a huge influence in, in who I am and what I do, right? So what I eventually discovered, and it was a bit of a journey, and I'll talk about that in just a second, but what I eventually discovered is what I really am passionate about is being involved in helping others uh, have that same type of transformational experience. I love doing that as a professor, by the way. I was a professor for a number of years and enjoyed that. And today, I get to help create an institution, lead an institution that does that on a regular basis, really creates that transformational experience. And, 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 and I believe we do that particularly well here at Bradley University, which is a big part of the reason I'm here, because I see that impact that we have. And that's, that's really what drove me into higher education administration. Um, you know, I often joke I gave up the best job in the world being a faculty member to do this. Uh, but uh, I love what I do because, I, again, I get to build the institution that creates that transformational experience for others. And that's, that's a big driver for me. You know, the question around what did I learn through the journey, uh, a lot, by the way. Uh, and it was interesting because early on, I was a chemical engineer. Uh, I was a chemical engineer and then a business school dean, and then eventually, obviously, into the role I'm in now. And part of the reason I was an engineer is I was one of these college kids that was good at math and science. And uh, as is typical for high school advising, well, if you go to math and science, you should be an engineer, right? So they said, let go be an engineer. And, 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 and I did that. It was never my passion, right? So it was never the thing that really drove me. I was okay at it, but I wasn't great at it. And I, I did fine. I had a wonderful career, a company called Amico. Uh, they treated me really well. Uh, I, I got my MBA when I was there. And that's when I discovered kind of my, my true passion, my true calling, which was uh, organizational leadership, understanding organizational strategy. And, and, and one of the big understandings for me in that is 
the power of finding the path that is right for you. My last year at, at undergrad at Purdue University, my last year at Purdue, I was student body president. And uh, one of my mentors was the Dean of Students at the time, uh, Betty Nelson. I remember Dean Nelson at one point, I was talking about, I don't know what I wanna do when I grow up because I knew I didn't wanna be an engineer. And her comment was, it's the wrong question. It's how many different things can you do as you grow up? And what I found, the wisdom in that was not just do a bunch of things. The wisdom in that was explore till you find the thing that's right for you. And I got to tell you, the minute I did, I knew it, right? And then so my path was set. And, and, and that was really important. So that's something when we think about what we're doing here at Bradley University to shape the experiences of our students, a lot of it is helping them identify the path that's right for them. And that's something that I learned from my journey, the power of that. And as a result, that's something we continue to reinforce here at the university. I love the idea of, of finding the right path. And I think it's, I think it plays for all of us in our minds on what that means for an emerging adult and for someone who is seeking out their education and looking towards their future. But how do you think of that for building a team at the university and bringing people on and, and bringing you know, members on for your team that are going to then lead those, those younger people and help them find their path? But how does that, how do you, how does that work on on the inside of, of things at the university. Yeah, so it's, it's, it happens in a couple of different ways. I could talk to you in detail about the difference between what I call student-centered and student-concerned. Part of it is really building a system around really understanding the needs and interests of our students. When, when you hear people talk about their student-centered, often what happens in, in higher ed is their student concern. So the idea is you come into our system as we define it, as we structure it, on the paths we define, known as majors, and as you plug into the predefined path we've created for you, we're very concerned about you. And what we're trying to do here at Bradley is we're building a system that is very student-centric, which means we're redesigning the system around the needs and interests of our students. And a lot of that, you got to build in more curricular flexibility on that. And a lot of it is creating systems that allow for a multitude of experiences for our students. So as they come in, they have those multitude of experiences. You know, we're big on internships and I'm a, I'm a big fan of sometimes a failed internship is as powerful as a successful one because it helps you figure out what you don't wanna do. So what we're trying to do is create that curricular flexibility and lots of experiences early on to help students find that path. And then a part of that is as we build our team, I'm really focusing on people who are genuinely student-centric, not just student-concerned, but genuinely student-centric and are okay reconstructing the system, rethinking how we operate to build a system that is designed around the needs and interests of our students and not around the needs and interests of the university. So I, I want to dive into the, the student-centric versus student-concerned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely, before we get there, yeah. uh, I want to, to dive into what you were just saying about, about finding people who are, who are focused on potentially rebuilding the system. Uh, I think in higher education, we have a system that's been around for a very long time, long time. and yeah. it, it can be hard to change that system. Right. And, and COVID, I don't want to go into COVID, but right. COVID broke us out and we all had to move very quickly into online learning and, and sort of flipping the classroom. Right. But that was a change that we had been building towards for a very long time and talking about for a long time. And then we had this outside, event that happened to really spur us and, and drive us forward. But how, uh, as a leader, do you identify team members and folks joining the university that think that way, that are, that are looking at the structures of traditional higher education saying, well, where, where can we break those down? How can, how can we change those? 
Yeah, so there, there's there's a couple ways to do that. One is uh, uh, to really obviously work with folks that are here to start exploring different models, create incentive structures that allow that to happen. Uh, we're, we're rethinking our budget model. Uh, we're creating, we created a new program approval process, streamlined that process a lot so that our, you know, our entrepreneurs on campus could, could more successfully move things forward. Part of it too is bringing in individuals that don't carry some of that traditional higher education baggage with them. Uh, so for example, our CFO, uh, actually she's done amazing work for us. She came from private equity. She has no higher education background. And uh, I remember when we were interviewing her, she's actually COO, CFO. So large chunks of the university are her area of responsibility. And I'm having a conversation with some of my colleagues and there's like, she's awesome. She's dynamic. She'll do great work for us. Her weakness is she has no higher education background. So what I heard was she's awesome. She's dynamic. She'll do great work for us. One of her strengths is she has no higher education background. <laughs> and so, and it's interesting because uh, there will be some regularity. Her, uh, her name is Cheryl. Cheryl will be working with our provost. And she'll ask him, you know, why do we do this this way? And he increasingly finds that he doesn't have a good answer, right? It's because we've always done it that way. And they have a wonderful working relationship. And part of the power is having people that have tremendous experience in higher education really understand us, how we operate, and combine that with individuals that are coming in with a different perspective and really cause us to challenge or rethink what it is we do and how we do it. And um, a lot of the, those diverse teams can be really challenging to lead because they come with very different perspectives. We've had a couple of retreats and really worked as a team to come together so that we can leverage the diversity of experiences and backgrounds that we have. But I actually think that's one of our, our secret weapons in making this work is really bringing in that outside perspective and having them really inform and think differently about how we function to break down some of those traditional structures and to just think differently about things. You and I have talked in the past a little bit about the need for transparency uh, yeah. and, and, and how it's critical for, for sort of the shared governance in, in higher ed. Um, yeah. You talk about bringing folks in and, and those great working relationships. What are some of the steps that you are, that you are taking to increase transparency and, and improve the improve processes uh, yeah, yeah. So in, that's, in amongst shared governance? Yeah, Go absolutely. Ahead. So that, that's actually a core uh, a foundation of our, our strategic plan is to really rethink our processes and to do some what call modernization advancement of our processes. Probably the single biggest change we're in the process of making right now is, first of all, I'm a big fan of transparency, shared engagement, but also shared accountability, right? So one of the things I think really works well in a shared government's environment is if I have input, but I don't have accountability, it gets really complicated. So what we're doing is we're in the process of restructuring our budget model. We're shifting to an incentive-based budget approach where individual colleges actually have a lot more control over their finances, but then they also have accountability around those finances. Uh, so it's, you know, I often joke, there's a couple of different ways to, to, to treat a dean. You can treat them like middle managers or you can treat them like divisional presidents. Uh, our deans are divisional presidents, right? They run their units. Uh, with that, they get control over their budget, but they also get accountability on that budget. And to me, that ends up being one of those big drivers on, and, and, and then they get transparency into that budget and have some flexibility around it. And to me, that ends up being a really important part of the shared governance process because shared input without accountability creates all kinds of dysfunctional behaviors. But when you align those two, uh, it empowers my colleagues, for example, to really be partners in helping us lead the university forward. So I'm really excited about this change. We're going through that change right now. And, uh, and it's something that uh, uh, I'm pretty excited about because I think it's going to fundamentally change how we think about 
transparency and shared governance at the university. Uh, and, and I promise, I, I want to go back to the, the student side of things also, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, I do, I want to ask, as you're going through that change, just talk to us a little bit about the change management process uh, from your background in organizational behavior. What are some of the things that you guys are doing to manage to manage that process? No surprise, communication, communication, and more communication. That ends up being probably the single biggest challenge with any change management effort. So one of the things we're doing is we're having lots of conversation around uh, the change, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how it impacts individuals. And then the other thing is um, making sure that everything is strategically aligned. So part of this budget process helps us really be more student-centric, quite frankly, because now individual colleges have new incentives to really understand and respond to the needs and interests of today's students. Because as they do that, it immediately positively impacts their financial position. And one of the things that is sometimes challenging with a traditional higher education budget process is there's a separation between the impact of the ability of a college to be able to really be thoughtful about how they serve students and get students excited about joining the college and the financial rewards associated with that. So what we're trying to do is trying to align the awards consistent with the strategic approach. And uh, you'll see that because as colleges are able to engage with students in a way that gets them excited about who they are, gets them more engaged, it increases enrollments, there's a direct benefit to the college financially as well. So it's part of that aligning those interest in a way that move things forward in a positive way. Going back to, because it, it's at such the core of, of the change of what you yeah. are, are talking about, help us to identify first, right? What is the difference? What, what are the identifying differences between being student-centered and, and, student, and student-centric? Sorry, student-concerned and student-centric. Again, the, the key difference is, do, I've never been at a university where they don't care deeply about students, right? I mean, that's one of the things I love about my industry is my colleagues across the nation, we care deeply about the success and well-being of our students. But are we prepared to really fundamentally rethink how we operate as a result? And that's where I think you run into a lot of the challenges. I would argue we have a little bit of an advantage here because the way our university was founded from the very beginning, Lydia Moss Bradley uh, was a very successful entrepreneur here in town. And she created the university to help students of the time have productive and meaningful lives. I mean, that was it. That was the whole reason she created the university. We started out actually as a college of horology, uh, watchmaking, because that seemed to be the best tools at the time. And we've been able to evolve it over time. So it's kind of in our DNA. That helps, by the way. And then we have to really start rethinking how we handle certain processes. And, and perhaps one of the best recent examples of that is we went through a strategic planning process last year. And a lot of universities, the way this will work is you pull together a group of individuals, you talk about, you know, what do we think we're good at? What do we want to offer? You create a strategy and then you roll it out to the world, right? So that's how the process often looks. We took a distinctly different approach because in a really student-centric model, you start with the students in mind. So what we did is our strategic planning process actually began with uh, interviews of 1,600 prospective students. And we had zero internal conversations before we did these interviews. So we worked with a firm out of Iowa called Quester. They really helped us uh, develop a large pool of students we could interview, students that came to Bradley, students that considered Bradley and didn't come here, and a bunch that never even considered us. And asked them, what are you looking for in your higher education experience? What's meaningful to you? And only after we had that data did we begin to build our strategic plan. And the plan was built around that. 
And it forces us to think differently in some really interesting ways. And it's gonna cause us, it's, it's, it is causing us to really rethink the very design of the university to better respond to the needs and interests of today's students. Uh, one of the things that students are telling us is, well, there's two, two main themes that came out. One of them is a big emphasis on creating an environment that is welcoming and inclusive to all. And it was interesting because no matter where we looked, who we talked to, it didn't matter the demographic background. That was a very common theme of today's students. So this is, this is something that has become core to our strategic plan. The other piece that was really interesting is there is an assumption throughout much of higher education that it's all around careers and jobs, right? That students come here, they want to get jobs, they want to get careers. And, and, and that still matters. I don't want to suggest that doesn't matter. But what we found in our research is today's students want more. They want to have an impact. They want to have a life of impact. And they want us to help them figure out how to do that. And, and the analogy I often use is in much of higher ed, when you come to campus, we present you with a series of doors, right? Pre-established doors called majors. Pick a major that we've already identified. We'll give you the skill sets you need. We'll open the door for you, send you off. You'll go have a good career. We're done. What today's students are telling us is, no, 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 I don't want to come to some pre-established door you created. I want to come to campus. I want to explore thousands of doors and perhaps even doors you haven't created yet. And then don't open the door for us. Give us the skill set so we can open the doors ourselves. So it's caused us to think very differently about even how we think about majors. So we've got to build flexibility to allow students to explore, discover different paths, and adjust accordingly in a way that doesn't fit well with the traditional major structure. So that's something we're looking at, recrafting, rethinking how we fundamentally structure and run the university. I think that's huge. I think the work to understand the market drivers and the market sentiments before necessarily implementing that, uh, that strategic plan or starting that strategic planning process is, is so key. And Generation Z, right, our, our next generation of students is even more self-directed than this, than this current generation. Uh, they're highly self-directed. They have a strong desire to, to make their own path forward. And it's, it's partially how they've been brought up, right? They've been brought up with the ability to go out and seek out whatever information they want. And, and now, you know, they're going to go to college or university and, and those pathways are going to be somewhat predetermined, right? Uh, right. And, but they're not, they're not used to those strictures. Like one, one interesting status uh, the other day was that 42% of them expect to work for themselves or to be self-employed at some point in their career. <laughs> right. Uh, as, as compared to like 11% of people nationally. So it's, it's just a very big difference in, in how they think. Actually, I love your term there, by the way, this idea of highly self-directed. You know, we haven't used that term on campus, but I like it. That's that, that, I think that describes a lot of what we see with our students. And, and, and a way to think that they're highly self-directed, but they're still learning. So our opportunity where we can really add value is to help them discover, but to let them be the drivers of that. And boy, that, I got to tell you, that's very, very different than how much of higher education is structured because, you know, we, we want them to come in and we'll tell them what we think makes sense for them, right? We, we know better than they do. And if you recognize that, no, no, these are highly motivated, self-directed individuals. They're not looking to be told what to do, but they need guidance on how to discover the path that is right for them. And so, you know, one of the things we're building into our overall design is we're rethinking the advising model. It isn't around advising for a particular major. 
And uh, we're also looking to build a, an, an embedded coaching function for all students. And a big part of that coaching function, it, this is not traditional academic advising. This is let's have conversations around what it is you really want to do, what you really want to accomplish and help them identify that path. But with our help, our students are highly self-directed. They're highly, they're often very confident and motivated. So we have to work with them to help them discover the path that is right for them, but they're ready, right? So that's our opportunity is to really be thoughtful partners with them instead of, you know, imposing a system on them. And that is really at the heart of being student-centered versus being student-concerned. And so how do, you, how do you move towards that at Bradley? That sounds to me like bringing together a lot of, of different roles and, and offices and spaces on campus and integrating them together, or at least getting them working more closely together than possibly they have been able to in the past. Absolutely. So there, there, there are three paths that we're pursuing right now to kind of reconstruct how this thing. So first of all, we are rethinking the advising model. The, the faculty are amazing, right? They are at many universities, but they are here absolutely amazing. They want to help students. But if I'm a math professor, for example, I'm great. You want to be a math person? I'm on it, right? I can help you with that. But if you're my advisor and I'm not, you know, I change my mind, I don't want to be in math, the, the system starts breaking down. So we're, we're rethinking the advising function and say, advising should be to the student, not to the major. Alongside of that is to develop a coaching function where each student will come in and have a dedicated coach that is not talking about academics at that point, but really talking about life planning. What, what, where do you want to have an impact? What do you want to do? And then those individuals will be able to pull from all of the resources on campus. So you say that you really want to be involved in entrepreneurship. You're currently studying um, political science. We actually have a, a student who was, came in to be a political science major, thought this would be his path, came to join our speech team. And he said, in a dream, literally in a dream, he decided he wanted to create an app that translates sign language into verbal language. And as it turns out, nobody's done that yet. And it's really complicated to do. So he reached out to computer science. He reached out to the business school and entrepreneurship. He reached out to engineering and he created a firm called We Hear You. And they have in fact created an app that translates sign language into verbal language. He'll no doubt be very successful with that. But here's a great example of an individual based on his experiences did a complete pivot. And what we're, what we're trying to create is an environment where that's very easy to do because as soon as he made that decision, the computer science faculty were ready. The engineering faculty was ready. The college, the school of entrepreneurship stepped in to help him. And then we can put a team quickly around the student and say, ah, this is what you're interested in. And that's where the coaching function, the advising function gets really powerful because they have the connectivity into campus to pull these individuals together around the needs and interests of the individual student. And again, it's just a very different way of thinking versus processing students through the traditional structures that already exist. I love that story. And, and I love the, the different departments being ready and, and open to, to accepting that student uh, here. It also sounds like a very engaged uh, student thinking yes. about what they want <laughs> to do. Um, and I think back to myself at 18, and I wish I had been that engaged right, right. Uh, with my education at that point and, and connected to myself and really uh, thinking about right. my future. So from that perspective, all of that sounds really wonderful. How do we how do we bring the students into that? How do we how do we make sure that that student who's sitting there who's not going to raise their hand, who isn't going to to yes. volunteer themselves forward? How do we engage them, you know, in this process? So it's it's a great question because when you talk about highly self-directed, self-motivated individuals, we've got to be deliberate at creating structures that are um, having these conversations intentionally. 
not not you know because the student asks or because they push it, but actually building a structure. And this is this is that we're building out a coaching function so that students are are actively engaging in these conversations as part of their process here. It's not something that happens by accident, but there's an intentionality with it that we build the structure to make sure that those conversations are happening. And it, 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 your observation on this one, I think, I think is great because there are these highly motivated self-directed students that will step forward and do it on their own. What we wanna do is recognize that for every one of our students, we have a responsibility for helping them find the path that is right for them. So we're intentionally building a structure that has that conversation with them the minute they land and continues that conversation with them through their coach as they go through the entire process with us. And so it's intentionally building that in. So it's not a by accident, but it's by design. And that's something we're currently in the process of building. Thinking of students who are coming in and, and joining Bradley or, or even just students in general. Yeah. With all of that said, what's what's the biggest piece of advice that you find yourself giving to, to young people sort of contemplating their future at this point? I'll go back to the advice I got early on in my career from uh, the Dean of Students at Purdue. It's be thoughtful consumers of your education and at least early on, engage in a multitude of experiences, right? Because one of the things that, that I've become a big advocate, this goes back to the very first question, our very first part of the conversation is finding the path that's right for you. I, I was pretty confident I wanted to be a chemical engineer when I went to Purdue, and I learned that that wasn't the right path for me. Uh, fortunately, I had a multitude of experiences, especially being student body president. That was probably the one that really helped drive a lot of this for me. So one of the things we encourage our students is have lots of experiences early on, because those experiences are really going to help you identify the path that is right for you. So be engaged and be engaged in a multitude of activities. Uh, you may think you want to be an accountant, for example. Great, get an accounting internship, try that on for size. But while you're at it, experiment with some other things too, because I'm convinced that that diversity of experiences early on helps you identify um, the path that is right for you. And then I would also argue as you start thinking about your future, uh, look for places that allow you to do that, right? Try to identify that place that is going to give you the flexibility to have a multitude of experiences and is committed to helping you find the path that is right for you. Not the path that they've predefined as, as what they think is right for you, but really the path that is right for you and has built-in flexibility that allows you to do that. Amazing advice, I, I think. Uh, I, I love the approach you're taking to try and help students see that advice and, and act on that advice. I think that's one of the hardest parts as, as a younger person is, is finding finding that mentor. Sometimes it happens mistakenly, right? Or accidentally, uh, mistakenly. Uh, and, uh, and we stumble into, but how can we, how can we make sure that those pathways are, are there with intentionality for, for, for younger people and for, and for folks considering their future. My last question for you, obviously, this yeah. is uh, the rebuilding the American dream podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, love to get your thoughts on, on what the American dream means. So it's interesting. Um, I'm a good example of that, right? So I'm a first generation college student and I've been able to do things and experience things that no one else in my family has been able to see or do. And uh, for me, part of rebuilding the American dream is creating those opportunities for our students that lead to not just short-term career success, but long-term happiness, right? And that, that really is what my education has done for me. Now, obviously I had some short-term career success as well, but it's that long-term happiness, that, that, that life of meaning that my education has been able to provide for me, that to me is really at the heart of the American dream. And if we can do that for more people, 
Uh, that's what I get passionate about. And that to me is really at the heart of rebuilding the American dream. President Stanford, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always amazing to talk to you and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on in the future. Perfect, been my pleasure, thank you. You've been listening to me, Seth Gumry of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. Find out more on our website, americandream.fm, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at Degree Insurance. Until next time.